0: Welcome to the Well Woman Show where we use intersectional feminism, mindfulness, leadership and strategy to support smart women to change the world without anxiety, insecurity and burnout.
1: But what I would hope is that people who read the book or who are listening to our conversation start to think a little bit differently about the importance of validation and vindication, and what it means to respond to an allegation in a, in a way that makes
0: clear that what happened matters. On the show, we challenge the status quo and support you to unlearn harmful messages that keep you playing small, so you can activate your superpowers and live with joy, confidence, and ease. I'm your host, Giovanna Rossi. Hello, Well Women. Welcome to the show. Good morning. So happy to have you with me this morning. And welcome to new listeners and welcome back to the regulars. On the Well Women Show, we often talk about power. And today's focus is on credibility as a form of power. How are those with greater privilege and authority in our society more likely to be deemed credible, while those with less social status are more likely to be dismissed? And how are everyday interactions a good starting point for cultural change? I talk about all of this with my guest today, author and professor at Northwestern University, Deborah Turkheimer. Deborah earned her undergraduate degree from Harvard, her law degree from Yale, and served five years as assistant district attorney in the New York County District Attorney's Office, where she specialized in domestic violence and child abuse prosecution. She's the author of Credible, Why We Doubt Accusers and Protect Abuse. Users. You can find notes from today's show at wellwomanlife.com slash 267 show. You can also continue the conversation with us in the Well Woman Life community group at wellwomanlife.com slash community. And as always, the Well Woman Show is thankful for support from the Well Woman Academy, a group coaching experience at wellwomanlife.com slash academy. I'm speaking with Deborah Turkheimer. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. It's so good to be here with you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yes. And so, Deborah, let's just start by having you tell listeners who are you in the world today?
1: I am a law professor at Northwestern University. I teach criminal law and evidence and feminist jurisprudence. And I love teaching. I love writing. Um, I write about gender violence. Also, a mom, and I'm a daughter, and I'm a friend. And I try to be an adventurer in the world whenever I get a
0: chance to do that. Oh, I love it. Okay. So you have a body of work. You, you've had such an interesting career. And of course, you're coming out with a new book that we'll talk about as well. But can you tell listeners, what are you working on? Like, what's top of mind for you? What, what work are you trying to put out in the world? And how does it impact women's lives? So
1: I began my career as a prosecutor in New York on the kinds of cases that I handled were cases we would now think of as special victims cases, so domestic violence and child abuse and sex crimes. And I I loved being able to help um, the mostly women and children I worked with, but I also felt as if the criminal justice system, the legal system in general, didn't respond especially well to violence against these really vulnerable populations. And Ever since I became a law professor, I've written about these same kinds of issues in the hope of improving the ways that we respond to these horrible crimes. And then outside of the criminal law, how we respond to misconduct that doesn't rise to that level, but is still deeply affecting to the the mostly women who experience it. For instance, workplace harassment.
0: Yeah. And in your author's note, in in the new book that's coming out, that's called Credible, Why We Doubt Accusers and Protect Abusers in the authors note i just want to call out something that was really interesting you say for perpetrators the same power that can be leveraged to prey on vulnerability confers protection from consequences and so can you talk a little bit more about that as something that you that you work on that you explain the idea that power both causes and Prevents
1: Absolutely. I mean, in, in some respects, I think my book is a, a book about power and the use and abuse of power in our society. We live in a, a deeply hierarchical culture, and uh, relationships that we have with one another are often structured um, in ways that are really imbalanced. And when it comes to abuse, and I'm thinking about in particular sexual harassment and sexual assault, really the full spectrum of of abuse that women experience that's gendered, what we see is that it's the same power that enables mostly men to do this to women. Um, That same power is what confers impunity and allows men to do this without consequence. And so when we look at the world through through a lens that sort of sees power and makes power salient, it, it really crystallizes a lot. It, a lot comes into focus and we can start to see this system that permits a range abuse by men against women.
0: And it, it seems like a really difficult cycle to interrupt. And so what do you say we should be thinking about or doing.
1: It is a difficult cycle to interrupt. I absolutely agree with that. I think the book is premised on the idea that there are a lot of good people in the world who want to do better. And when it comes to for instance uh assessing credibility and deciding who to believe when a woman comes forward and says this happened to me. There are lots of people who would want to do right. that individual and who would want to be fair in making these kinds of judgments. And yet we are so steeped in a culture that um, is is biased against accusers and that misunderstands the nature of abuse. And so we make mistakes and many of us make mistakes without realizing it and certainly without wanting to cause harm. And so I, I, I wrote the book because I think that there's so much potential for each of us to improve in our daily lives and to make better credibility assessments, um, which is going to transform our culture. We do it one by one. We do it individual by individual.
0: So yes, I absolutely agree. And and I I actually do spend a lot of time talking about power and systems and not necessarily in the specific area that you work in, but in general, talking about the patriarchy and the systems that hold power in place. And and I'm very interested in how we actually operationalize the change so that, you know, because it, it really, and I think you talk about this in your book, but it really starts at the micro level. And so we can't just demonize people once they have really done horrible things. Um, we need to be backing up and starting earlier and really noticing the everyday, the, the everyday language and behavior that's used that, that builds up to this. And that is the part that I think is really missing in our society and our culture. We, we give people a pass with, with these sort of behaviors and, and language. And then we freak out later when, you know, something terrible happens. So there's this big jump and, and I think there's gotta be more attention. Attention to the small sort of everyday behavior and language. Can you speak to that?
1: Yes, I certainly you know, believe that our laws, which are a big part of this book, need to change. And legal reform is part of the solution, but it is not the only part of the solution. And it's not even the most important important part of the solution. It's these everyday encounters that ultimately are going to to transform uh, the way that we have been doing business around these kinds of gendered violations. And so I'll give you um, an example, I think, that that really brings this point home. I spoke to many women for for the book and, of course, throughout the course of my career. One in particular, um, her her name is Janie, um, Janie Williams, and she's, she's in the book a lot. And She had the experience of telling her friend group that another member of their friend group had sexually abused, assaulted her when she was incapacitated. And the reaction was very common, which is to say her friends did nothing in response to this disclosure. And over the years, she came to think more deeply about why this was so wounding on why it was so damaging to her, on why it was as bad as or even worse than the abuse, which is a phrase I hear over and over again. The aftermath is as bad as or worse than the abuse. I think it's really important for people to to hear that and to understand it, to internalize it, because these are the everyday interactions that you're talking about. This is what happens when someone tells a friend, a roommate, a neighbor, a parent about something, and the reaction is disappointing and it feels like a betrayal and it is.'m gonna go back to to Janie's story. you know what Janie was asking from her friends was actually very little. She wanted I think to hear, I believe you, I support you. I'm here to help in whatever way you need. Mm. And she didn't get that. she didn't get that at all. The friends essentially closed ranks around the man who Janie was accusing, and they didn't make any change in their lives. And I think this goes to the point that you made, Jyvonne, about how hard it is to disrupt the status quo. We all want to continue on with our lives, to have things be just like they always were. And even when we're asked to make any kind of change, maybe a change in our relationships with another individual in our friend group, it's hard for us to do that. And we're drawn to preserving existing structures, existing patterns, existing relationships, that works to the benefit of powerful men. That works to the benefit of men who are accused because preserving the status quo means
0: nothing changes. So what could those friends have done? I mean, besides say, I and, and actually you did suggest this, like, I believe you, I, we're supporting you. How can we amplify that message? How can we give actual... You know, here's what you can do kind of tips for people.
1: You know, talk in the book about meaningful consequences, and that idea is, of course, very contextual, right? You can't know what a meaningful consequence is without knowing what the accusation is. There are all sorts of different accusations, they fall along a spectrum of severity who's the person who's receiving the disclosure? Is it a police officer where we would expect some very different kind of action in response to the complaint? Or is it a parent, right? What what is it that the person is being asked to do? And I think that we need to really parse that out and be context specific when we answer the question. But what I would hope is that people who read the book or who are listening to our conversation start to think a little bit differently about the importance of validation and vindication and what it means to respond to an allegation in a a way that makes clear that what happened matters. Mm -hmm. Because so often when someone comes forward, the kind of credibility discounting, as I call it, that occurs is not... It didn't happen, but it didn't matter. Right. Uh, Right. There are are so many different ways to be dismissed Mm -hmm. and they're all deeply wounding. And they're, yeah. unjust, and they're unjust.
0: Yes, and I love the way you talk about credibility as a form of power. And and like you said when we started this conversation, it's, it, you said this book really is about power. Can you talk at all about your experience with the Harvey Weinstein case?
1: Yes, I followed the the case and the you know in the papers like so many other people here in the states and around the world. And then I managed to be in in New York and in the courtroom in particular, the courtroom where I used to practice, it was my old office. But on this day, I was there when the the jury came back with, with its verdict, with the guilty verdict against... Harvey Weinstein. And that was um, obviously an incredibly powerful moment. I was in the courtroom for that.
0: Now, why were you there? Can you just kind of give us the backstory here? Well,
1: I mean, I I really had been sort of following and trying to, to, to figure out when I could make it to New York. I not living in new york anymore and it, you know there was some serendipity involved and the, of course the trial was was coming to a close and my time was running out and so it just it just things sort of fell into place and i was i was there that day and i'm really really grateful that i was able to you know be witness to a small part of this of this saga it's one thing to read about all of it in the in the papers and later on you know to get the transcript of the trial and to you know read through the examinations it's almost like I was there, but it's not quite the same. And, and being there is, um, is, is being there.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. What a, what a moment to witness. And Deb, you talked about working in feminist jurisprudence. And can you talk about that a little bit in terms of how you spread your, your message and your work to other upcoming lawyers or, you know, as you, in your work as a professor, what does that look like? Yes, I am
1: so privileged. And, you know, the great fortune of, of teaching law students and one of the classes I teach is this class called feminist jurisprudence and that is a class about how the law constructs gender areas of law that that touch deeply on the lives of women and trans individuals and lgbtq individuals and that's a class that really gives students the opportunity to see the law and frankly see the world in a, in a different way and to sort of apply a critical lens that looks at these issues from the vantage of gender. And that was something that changed the way I saw the law when I was a student. And I've obviously carried it with me as I've, I've moved forward in my career. And so it really is a gift to be able to then engage in these discussions and conversations with my students now around these really difficult, complex questions. I mean, this is a a class where people come with lots of different backgrounds, lots of different orientations and perspectives on a question as simple as what is equality? What is the meaning of equality? What is feminism? Right. And so we we don't all sit around and agree with one another. Far from it. We get to really pull apart these ideas and work through them and then consider how the law intersects with all of these all of these very big global issues.
0: Mm, that's so great that that's offered as a class. Do you think that the the people that need the class are taking the class? You
1: know, I that's a great question, and it's a class that is it's it's an it's limited enrollment because we do want to be able to sit around a table with one another. So I'm you know happy that there are many students who want to take the class. I'm sad that not everyone who wants to take the class can can get into the class in that semester. But I do feel as if there's a good cross section of students and. Some come with a background in gender studies or feminism, and many don't. And many have heard that this is a class that challenges the way that you think and that pushes you to see the world differently. And so I I feel like I get um, students who who might not be the kind of predictable people who are going to sign up for a course like this.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. All right. I'm speaking with Deborah Turkheimer, author of Credible, Why We Doubt Accusers and Protect Abusers. She's a professor of law at Northwestern University, and we'll be right back. You're invited to join me for a brand new monthly group experience over in the Well Woman Academy. This is a monthly group that includes access to the full six-week course based on feminism, mindfulness, and the Well Woman Life Framework. It includes weekly groups, coaching sessions with me, as well as office Hours and a private Facebook group to share and grow. Don't get me wrong, this is hard work, but with these tools, you will easefully find the time to do the course, get the coaching, and reach your goals monthly. If you find yourself worrying about whether you'll ever make it in the thing you're pursuing, waking up in the middle of the night with anxiety, lacking the energy you need to get everything done, stuck in some aspect of leading your team, procrastinating on moving forward with projects and tasks, or if in a leadership role, but second guessing yourself constantly, I'd love to introduce you to the Well Woman Academy. It's for smart, high achieving women changing the world who want to overcome anxiety, burnout, perfectionism, and insecurity. The result, you get to live your Well Woman life, a life of joy, ease and abundance, even when things are tough all around you. Visit wellwomanlife.com academy to learn more. And we're back on the Well Woman show with Deborah Turkheimer, professor of law at Northwestern University. And Deb, I have a few questions for you. This is the segment called superpowers for success. And this is where you get to share your wisdom from your life with listeners and hopefully impact them. And so the first question is, what does success in life mean for you?
1: For me, success is um, living one's days in a way that feels mostly meaningful, purposeful, satisfying. And that can be because of one's relationships in the world, one's work. And I think ideally a combination of the, of the two.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting. I ask this question of all my guests and I think the answers have changed over the years as more people are focused on purpose and meaning over sort of the more material things that maybe, you know, we grew up with or our, our parents' generation, definitely grandparents' generation, it was all about, you know, get your education, make some money. And, and now people are really talking about like having some purpose to your life. So Deb, when did you know you were really good at what you do?
1: I guess I feel like when I changed you know, careers and became a law professor. This was back in 2002. The first few years were really challenging. The learning curve was really steep in the classroom and in the, the world of, of research and writing. But I think I knew very early on that this was a good fit. Because of that, I think I had confidence that I was going to be good at this and would, would quickly become good at it. And so I think I you know, kind of got that that feeling of being in the right place and doing the right job, you know, in one of my first semesters of teaching, when I was connecting with students, and when I was feeling like I had lots of ideas that I wanted to put out there in, you know in my, in writing. And so yeah. I think you know that's the part of being good at what you do, I think, is feeling like, you love what you do. And for me, that happened really on in my in my career as a, as a law professor.
0: Yeah, that's so great. When that kind of validation comes from within, like I have something to say and I'm in the right place to, to say it, then it all kind of comes together. Can you describe a personal habit that contributes to your well-being so you can do everything you do in the world?
1: I'm good, I think, at taking some time at some point in the day to move away from work, to get a break from work and not just a break from doing work, but a break from thinking about work to create some headspace where their my focus is elsewhere. Like Believe, what? Well, I have a dog who keeps me joyful and uh, requires lots of attention and exercise. And that's a, you know, that's a, a real shift, right. To go from thinking about the the kinds of things that I spend most of my days thinking about to romping around with, with the the silly dog.
0: Yeah, that's such a good reminder. And I think for a lot of listeners who are high achieving professional women, it is hard to actually switch out of your work mode and into joy and into pleasure. So thank you for that example. Deb, what superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time?
1: I feel like my ability to empathize has probably grown over the years years. um, As I've become a person who's now in my 50s, I would put it at the top of my list of of qualities that I consider to be a superpower. I don't know if everyone would agree with me about that, but it feels essential in these times, especially. And I I feel like I tap into it daily.
0: Mm, That's great. It, It is essential. And it's an essential leadership quality that is discounted many times. So what advice would you give your younger son? say 25 or 30 years old? I do think
1: that trusting one's instincts is important and it's harder to do when you're younger. It was harder for me to do when I was younger, I will say. Um, There's a lot of second guessing there was for me and, you know, more self-doubt than I feel now. And so it would be, I guess, nice to have heard from my future self that my instincts (laughs) Mostly good, and of course you make mistakes. Everyone does, but those instincts will lead you to good places, and for the most part, and you can you can
0: go ahead and trust them. I love that we talk a a lot about intuition on this show, and I know the answer to this. You identify as a feminist. I'm pretty sure you do, but can you talk a little bit about what that identity is for you, and and what that means? In your life?
1: Yeah, this is the one that's really easy for me. This is, you know, it, it surprises me sometimes when the question gets asked and, and people, especially women, hesitate. Because for, for me at least, it's it's something that I identify with in such a strong, pervasive um, way. And I have for all of my, really all of my, my life. I am committed to equality of all sorts and equity and justice. But gender is, for me, a really helpful way of organizing the world in which we live. It helps to explain just about everything. So when I see the world through this through this lens, through this prism of gender, it helps me to orient and it helps me to figure out what can I do to make things better? What can I do to help achieve this world that is more just, more equitable, more equal, more fair? There are absolutely all sorts of hierarchies and inequalities and power imbalances that I care deeply about that intersect with gender. And I think that's part of being a feminist too. And so for instance, you know, we talked earlier about my book. It's a book about the ways in which women have their credibility discounted and the ways that marginalized, vulnerable women, particularly women of color, particularly poor women, have their credibility discounted in different ways and in ways that we would consider to be, I think, even worse, right? That discount is even steeper. And so I, I don't want to suggest that, that, that gender is sort of helpful on its own, um, but I do think that gender is extremely operative in the world. And so for me, my feminism is based on the idea that I want to live in a world that that, that doesn't order itself in these hierarchical ways, including around gender.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I just think that having a feminist analysis in our daily lives is so critical because we can fall into, and I'd love you to talk a little bit more about it for, for listeners who may who may or may not identify as a feminist, but who certainly believe that everybody should be equal. There's the tendency to oversimplify equality. Like, well, sure, I think everybody should be equal, but what does that mean? How do we how do we apply an analysis to our our language and our behavior, the things that we say and do every day?
1: Yeah, I think that the you know the importance of attending to our interactions, our relationships. I mean, the, the feminist mantra from decades ago personal as political, right, resonates with me still today. And so the idea is that we are all, we are all embedded in these structures, these systems, these cultures, and sometimes we are more likely to notice them than others. For me, it's a helpful way, again, of understanding the influences on us because we're not, you know, we're not isolated particles that sort of bounce about the world, right? We're, we are all, you know, very much shaped by these systems, structures, cultures. And so to, to, you know, if you're sort of a person who is interested in, you know, kind of understanding in any kind of a, a meaningful way, even just how you're going about your days and how people are interacting with you and what, you know, what's moving you and why to me, again, it kind of helps to think through some of these larger constructs like gender.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think it's so important to take it out of just academia and really uh, have ways to quiet in our life. Thank you for that. And last question for you. So what are you reading right now? What's, what's on your nightstand or your table?
1: I have a few books going. I've, I've started Ashley Ford's memoir. Uh, it's called Somebody's Daughter. I'm looking at it right now. Hmm. I heard Ashley Ford interviewed and I was struck by her eloquence and her wisdom she's a person who experienced lots of hardship growing up her father was incarcerated um and much of the book is about her relationship with her father and learning that he was incarcerated uh, for for raping a woman she herself was sexually assaulted as a as a teenager and so kind of reconciling those different truths um i think is 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 a big part of this book i love it because it's already really complex and it's really layered and it's beautifully written
0: Mm. Mm, great. So I'm
1: reading that. And then I, I go back and I read uh, Rebecca Solnit books from time to time on um, this one I've read before, but I'm rereading recollections of my non-existence by Rebecca Solnit. And I love reading her writing because she's so smart and she helps me to sort of see things that I thought I knew in a different light. And she's very wise. So those are, those are books that I'm reading now.
0: Love that. Okay. We'll include those in our show notes. We always love to collect recommendations from our guests and Deborah Turkheimer, really great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Giovanni. Really enjoyed that
1: conversation.
0: Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week.